thank you for choosing the Burger Ball Podcast, hosted by Metstradamus Blog's John Coppinger and Josh Chaplin. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The Washington Nationals this season find themselves not in a do-or-die scenario for their window of contention, but certainly one that is a little bit more pressing. If the New York Mets are able to step back into the picture with a healthy rotation and a loaded lineup, then they should certainly return to pose a threat as they did in 2015 and at least some of 2016. With the Phillies signing Carlos Santana and Riss Hoskins emerging and perhaps being in play for one of the remaining starting pitchers on the market, being Jake Arrieta or Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb, there presents the opportunity for the Phillies to be between 75 and 83 wins if all things run right for the organization. Now, Atlanta might be a year or two away, and Miami certainly isn't expected to contend after their offseason fire sale. But the Washington Nationals face one of their most important seasons. They haven't won a divisional series ever, never in franchise history. Heading into Bryce Harper's final season in Washington, you know this is something that is on his and everyone in the organization's mind. They'll have Steven Strasburg beyond this season. They'll have Trey Turner. But they're going to lose Harper. They're going to lose Daniel Murphy. They'll lose many of the cornerstones that have led this recent run of success for the franchise. Heading into Bryce Harper's final season in Washington, you know this is something that is on his and everyone in the organization's mind. So for New York Mets general manager Sandy Alderson, to step out and say that the Mets have a chance to contend with the Washington Nationals this season is actually not that surprising. Matt Harvey looks good in spring training. Noah Syndergaard is effortlessly throwing 100 miles per hour. Jacob deGrom is coming off one of the best seasons of his career. If Steven Matz can return to form, they've then added Jason Vargas in consistent innings. Maybe Alderson is then onto something. Maybe he knows about the inefficiencies better than anyone else. But maybe the Nationals aren't done. Maybe they think they have a play for one of the remaining starting pitchers. Or maybe they will eventually look to add a piece at the deadline, both of which are plausible scenarios. And while the Nationals certainly seem poised to win the National League East this season, it is also not to say that they shouldn't be more aggressive in trying to add at least one more piece before the season starts to shore up their chances. But just as with anything, we're going to look to some predictions. So let's start with the New York Mets before we get a little bit deeper with this. So John, over, under, fifth year in a row. Let's rock. David Wright, two major league games played this season. Are you thinking that he's not going to touch the field again? Or do you think he'll have a one-game appearance in September as his send-off? Because a lot of people think that he could be released after this season because his contract begins to decline and they could work something out. I, I don't think he's going to hit the field again. I hate to say it. I, I, think it's, I think what he's got to put his body through is too much just for one game. I really believe that. You said the over-under was two games? I did. Or two at-bats? Uh, two games. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I still say under because even if it's that one, even if it's that one appearance, I think. I think here's what I think it'll. Here's what I think will happen. It would if it happened. It would be September. He would lead off the game, do whatever he did in his at bat, 
run the bases, and then t- take the field for warmups in the bottom of the first, or the or in, in the bottom of the first, or no, it would well, it would be a home game, I guess. So it would be the top of the second, and then and, and then step away, and then and then be replaced in the field. It might even be that he plays an out in the field. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under two games. He came into spring training this year and was there for the first few days, obviously. And there was a lot of uncertainty, and it almost seemed like he was there as a public figure, the way that a Russell Wilson comes into a camp and hangs right. out for a few days and takes the field and takes a few grounders. But did you sense that? Give it up to the Rangers, by the way, for for employing Russell Wilson for all those years, paying a minor league minimum <laughs> to basically be a motivational speaker, <laughs> where motivational speakers get paid a lot more than minor league minimum to go around and, and motivationally speak. So the Rangers got a good deal there. They did, and now he's over with the Yankees. I think. I think they. Yes, have... he is. He did get traded to the Yankees. <laughs> so. And now the Yankees have their motivational speaker. Did did the Mets essentially admit that he's not coming back this spring? Did David Wright kind of admit it? I think David Wright kind of admitted it with when he with with his uncertainty about it. I think he knows. I think he knows, and I think I think this season and maybe even the next two are going to just be him collecting that money from insurance. It's sad. It's sad, man. I mean, yeah, it's so- sad because he deserved better. I mean, this was a guy. Who and 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 listen, I thought that that asking David Wright if it was okay to sign a third baseman was kind of over the top. Because and I know they did it for you know they, they wanted to they 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 wanted to, to to show proper respect for him, and I get it. Maybe it was over the top, but David Wright was a guy who took a lesser deal to stay with the Mets. And I think that that's something that we should all appreciate. I, cause that doesn't happen a lot anymore. Hometown discounts are pretty much a thing of the past. And for, for right to do that, where he could have gone on the open market, he could have been a free agent and made a ton more money than he was, than he was making with the Mets, but that he, he stayed here and he chose to be here. And that's, that's a credit to him. It didn't work out for the Mets, but it's a credit to Wright for doing that. And uh, and that's something I think that should be appreciated. And I think it will be appreciated more after he retires. Yeah, and it's just a shame because I don't think anybody foresaw David Wright being the Don Mattingly of the New York Mets. And, yeah. And and to me, that's, that's scary because – Of course. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean – but at least David got to play in the World Series. At the very least, he got, got to home run in the World Series. Yeah, and, and, and like so, that's that's really cool for Wright. It's just uh, if he never plays again, it's the most unsavory ending to what was going to be a Hall of Fame career. And yeah, and and he never got redemption for that 07 MVP. So that that's really frustrating too. Or was it 08? I think it was 08. Um, 08. Yeah. So all right. He, next up, Tim Tebow. But did he wait? Wait, yeah. wait, MVP? I mean, he never got – I mean, he fell short of Jimmy Rollins, but he was a way better player than Rollins. Oh, I right, think. right, 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 yeah. Well, Jimmy Rollins was 07. Okay, so then it was 07 because that was the yeah. year that Wright went 30-30. Yeah, exactly. Okay, 
Okay. So and you never got a chance to do that. Yeah. You'll, you'll always feel that right got robbed and that we got robbed of seeing what that, what that career could have been. Yeah. Injury, but injuries uh, and conditions do not discriminate. No, no, they don't. And speaking of non-discriminatory injuries, um, Omar Minaya just signed a new sprinkler system. Tim Tebow, one major league home run. No, oh. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a push because I think he's going to come up and he's going to hit that home run. <laughs> Middle seriously, I think that he is going to – I think they're going to call him up. I, don't, I think that that's a sure thing. He's coming up in September. It's not even a question. I think he's going to come up. He's going to, he's going to look fastball from the first pitcher he faces, and he's going to hit it three miles. And it's going to be the quintessential story of all stories. Then the rest of the month he's going to hit 080 and retire. <laughs> but he's getting that one home. But he will make it, and he will, and that will be the end of the movie. That will be the, actually, that will be the first scene in the movie. The, and then you'll see the movie, and then it'll lead up right back to that moment. But yeah, it's it's going to happen. It's I'm I'm convinced it's going to happen. I don't think I, I don't think it should happen. And I'm by should I don't I'm not saying they shouldn't call him up. I just I don't think this has any basis in reality that it should happen. Realistically, this shouldn't happen. But I think the I, I think this movie is going to have its ending. I just get that feeling. I yeah I, I feel like we've had that feeling for almost two years when you were running around in traffic and um, yes 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 and and it's just it's it's the prophecy there are prophecies in this world and Tim Tebow is writing his own and now I guess the question becomes not whether or not he's going to hit a major league home run but whether or not it'll matter <laughs> and and I think yeah. and I or whether or not not in the sense that will it matter in the scheme of life I mean then does any home run matter but. Will it be against a playoff caliber team in a playoff situation? You know, will yeah. will, will there it be will it be Craig Brazel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or will he get that home run um, in a Subway Series game in in June or July when he goes on oh, a tear? No, no, no. This is going to be September. Well, well, I'm not going to. This gonna... is going to be. This is going to be. Well, here's here's the question now. Okay, here's the question I have for you: If the Mets are in a pennant race. In September, does Tim Tebow get called up? Is Tim Tebow hitting 220 NAA or is he hitting 340? That's the question I have for you. He's I, not hitting 340 in AA. Like this is this goes back to the basis in reality thing. Well, 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 you well, well. Assume that, you can't assume that Tim Tebow's going to hit 340 in AA. But but he has monster power. He hit the he hit the shed out in uh, Port St. Lucie. You're telling me he can't hit 340? I'm turning. Can't into, hit 340. I'm, I'm going to turn into Stephen A. right now. I'm going to tell you, Tim Tebow. He's not that kind of hitter. Even if listen, we Todd Frazier can't hit 340, and he's a major leaguer. <laughs> Tim Tebow is a quality prospect hanging out in the minor leagues right now. If, if he if he gets it going, man, he just needs one of those uh, fungal bats that uh, Jose Reyes switched to, and then it's all going to click. He's going to hit 320. I want to see, see Tim Tebow. Go up to the plate with a fungo bat. <laughs> that would make my ear. <laughs> Maybe he could. That act- would be like going to the wrong uh, on deck circle. 
What? That would be hysterical. But Tim Tebow, it, no, let's assume that Tim Tebow is his normal 220 self. Okay. But has, but has, but has pop. Okay. Okay. Then. Like double digit home runs pop. Okay. So if he hits 15 so home runs. Let's say 220, he's hitting 10 home runs, 10 to 15 home runs. And the Mets are in an, in an honest to goodness pennant race in September. Does Tebow get called up? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because it's either it, because I think what the Mets are going to think here is a if we add him in September, he's not getting on the playoff roster anyway, so it won't matter. B, there's going to be an at bat or there's going to be a game, assuming that it doesn't go down literally to the wire to game one sixty two, where there's going to be a position for him to have a pointless at bat. <laughs> There's going to be a, even in a pennant race. Even, I mean, I mean, even in a pennant race, after the Mets clinched in 2015, Kelly Johnson was the starting shortstop. <laughs> you know, I think that there's a spot for anyone at any point. Okay, so you're saying that he's going to be in that, like, say the Mets clinch, he's going to be in that Stan Jefferson, yes, um, Floyd Yeomans lineup from '86. Okay. Yes. 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 I mean, unless you foresee something different, unless you foresee the whole thing where they just keep him down and then try to wage their bets. Listen, I'm having I, I'm having a problem foreseeing the Mets in a pennant race, much less <laughs> Tim Tebow being kept down for as a super two prospect. <laughs> this <laughs> this that is, whole basis in reality thing. I think I've lost it over the past two weeks since we last recorded. But maybe, maybe it's that you, you've had Olympic fever. I, <laughs> I've had fever for baseball, man. I think I'm just craving anything, <laughs> but, but we're, we're an hour away from a, from a televised game. I think, uh, that being said, Jacob deGrom, 25 starts over, over on 25. He's going to go a full 30 yeah. this year. I think he's going to, I think he's going to do 30. I think he'll be fine this year. I'm not worried about deGrom. Uh, Yeri's Familia, 25 saves. Under. Ooh. So they're going to go if, cl- closer. If if, if, if if what Callaway's saying about different relievers at different times holds true, I think it's going to be under. Okay. So Ramos is going to get injected in there. We might have some Callahan. We might have some Maybe Robles. even Swarzer, Swarzak. Maybe even a Blevin save or two. I could see a scenario where Familia has 23 Ramos has 15. Swarzak has like five. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, the, the question is, how do you differentiate between, you know, where a guy is needed in turn, well, when you have three right-handers in the pen? That's my question. Performance? Uh, splits? Um, I, I guess, maybe. Or, or you need, or you need familiar in the seventh inning. Exactly. Like, I don't, I don't foresee a lot of fifth or sixth innings, uh, saves quote unquote <laughs> for familia. I don't see a lot of instances where where Callaway will feel the most important inning of the game in a regular season game in the middle of the season is going to be the fifth or sixth. Yeah. I could see it later in the season maybe and I could see a lot of games where familia will be, will come in in the seventh or the eighth and get those outs. Or even if say the the like say familia comes in to start the eighth inning when the other team has their three, four, five hitters up, you know, it goes, it goes back to what the baseball was thinking of doing and having, uh, anybody you want bat in the ninth inning. <laughs> Isn't that the way it should be? Right? Though. I'm gonna, I only bring that up because 
if if you do that, if Major League Baseball decides, okay, we're gonna we're gonna allow a team that's behind in the bottom of the ninth bat anybody they want to, then you know what that means? That means the save becomes important. It does. Because now every ninth inning will be will be key and every ninth inning will feature Bryce Harper and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And that's what that would mean can, if can, that if that happened. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the greatest idea in the world, but at least they're thinking. Well, hold on. I, I this is what I was going to ask. So say Bryce Harper leads off the ninth inning and he, he made the last out of the last inning. He leads off the ninth. He hits a home run. Can do they have to announce the three before? Or can they say Bryce Harper is batting three times? I think that they would I think it would be three different batters. I think they would do it much like the NHL does their shootouts, where you have to put where you have to put the three names on a piece of paper right before the inning and say, Okay, this is who we're going with. <laughs> so it can't be invisible runner on first after Bryce Harper singles and then Bryce right, Harper. Up exactly, again. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean is that something that bothers you? Is that something that would mean Vince McMahon is starting the XBL for real? Right, right. We should have came up with that idea when we were talking about uh, the, the Phantom XBL. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it bothers me that they're talking about different things like that that are outside the box. Uh, I think it would bother me if if it if they actually implemented something weird like that. I just I like their thought process. I like that they're trying to think of different things to kind of uh, to to improve on the game. I don't know if ultimately anything that radical would improve the game. I do. I am a purist at heart. I do like uh, the fact that uh, you know I, I'm when I go to a ball game, it doesn't really worry me how long I'm there because what else am I going to do that day? Shake you know, shack. I have nowhere else to be. You don't go to a ball game if you have somewhere else to be. That's you don't spend that money on a on a ball game if you've got to do something anyway. And I know there are certain instances like I had to leave a a, a game that went fourteen innings in Miami because we had uh, dinner reservations, and I, I I regretted that, but it wasn't my decision. <laughs> so so, but listen, but in general, if you're there at a ball game, you're there because you're enjoying the game and its surroundings and that's your day. So pace of play, I think pace of play bothers me more when I'm watching a game. I do like to, I do like to see that they're, that they're coming up with things to, to alter the pace, not so much the length, but it's the pace. It's the, it's the fact that they've gone to three hour and five minute ball games because of all of these mound visits and pitching changes. And then, you know, when that is the reason you're going to 305 and not because there's just 8,000 more hits in a nine inning game than there used to be, then that's a problem. Absolutely. So I do like that. They're thinking outside the box. I just don't want to see him get too crazy. Like, uh, like ninth inning wheel of lineup or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm with you on the wheel of lineup thing. I totally want to see some of those implementations. I think that goes back to what we talked about with some of those rule changes. Um, that being said, I'm with you, but we're more purists, so it's just difficult for us to come out and say what uh, millennials are, are are saying. And I'm a millennial, so I think I am. Wait, are are you? You're not a millennial, right? You're. Uh, no, no, no. I've I uh, I missed the millennial uh, era by about. You know, a hundred years or something. 
Wait, did you know millennials are considered 83 and older? Like born Yeah, in- that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, because that's when you hit your 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 prime years, your teenage years and you become an adult in the new millennium. So yeah, that makes sense. So you're a, you're not a boomer though. You're what what's in between? It's generation No, I'm generation I'm generation X. What is what does that mean? I've always been like that's a- I, I still don't I still don't know what it means. <laughs> you know, I think we were the listen, the generation X, I think we're the ones that were that first embraced technology after the boomers. Um but we're kind of we're kind of stuck in between. I think we're kind of like the forgotten. I mean, generation X, I think they just labeled us because it was a cool name, and they couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> so honestly, ha- yeah, I really, I don't, I don't know. Are you familiar? But, uh, say again. Are you familiar with Lewis Black? Yes, I think he had a quote where he said, "Our generation is just the greatest generation because we just sit around and we can talk about anything without computers for hours on end, just knowing four different words about the subject." <laughs> and I feel like that <laughs> that describes you pretty perfectly. But he, he's not. Yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> you're you're part of that era that knows the technology, well, the technology, but also can use it. Um, doesn't need it, and it's so freaking cool because you can talk about anything at any length and sound relatively knowledgeable about it, and you don't need memes. Some some people might not think that that's a good trait. Why? You know, <laughs> because the, the the whole talking too long part. Wait, does anyone have a problem with that? From the with me talking a lot, I you know if they if they did they haven't told me. <laughs> I mean, but I have my suspicions. Is this not the generation that has um what is it twenty four hour news cycles that has some people running literally three four hour monologues daily? Am I crazy? <laughs> Am I crazy? I, anyway, I don't answer that. Listen, I had a, I had a, I had a conversation at length last night about K pop. K, um, Korean pop music. Yes. What What was so, it about? Um, it, it, well, it wasn't me that had it. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was in watching the closing ceremonies, and I went to somebody I knew that said, "Do you know these people? Because they, I know they have, uh, they've, uh, they have talked before about K-pop." So I, um, so he proceeded to give me uh, background. On on the K-pop groups that were performing at the uh, at the Olympic ceremony at the closing ceremony, so so yeah, us us Generation Xers can really talk about anything, <laughs> a wide variety of subjects. Uh, can you tell me if Darno? I mean, it's very it's, it's very <laughs> actually it's very NWO K-pop. Is it really this group? <laughs> this group that they had performing last night was uh, was named XL, EXL, and apparently <clears throat> they wanted to expand into China. They wanted to in- to have influence in China. So what they did was they had EXOK, which is Korean EXO, and they wanted to split it. They had EXO and they wanted to split it into EXOK and EXOM for Mandarin, and they wanted to kind of infiltrate China. <laughs> with this with EXOM and become big there and then you know and then K-pop would have this worldwide influence because if you can influence China you can influence the world but it didn't work out and there might have been some political overtones with that where China's like no 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 we we want our music to be more from our from home okay 
Kind of so, like, yeah. So, yeah, but so it didn't really work out, but I thought it was fascinating <laughs> that they tried to kind of NWO the, the, the Korean pop music scene. So, the- <laughs> so yes, so yes, the Generation Xers can talk about anything. And and you just related, see, that's exactly what I mean. You just related K-pop to the Wolfpack, you know, like, yes. as, as long as you were throwing the two sweets up, I'm, I'm happy with it. As long, <laughs> I'm waiting for a baseball team to adopt that, by the way, because with the popularity, have you seen the Bullet Club? The Bullet Club? Yeah. No. That is probably the biggest development for professional wrestling in the last 20-ish years. They have um this faction of wrestlers only on the independent scene. They're called the Bullet Club. They're in New Japan. They're in Ring of Honor. They're in um all over the independent scene. And their shirts are outselling WWE-produced shirts at Hot Topic, which, by the way, Hot Topic still does exist, apparently. And, okay. And... Um, they have made the two sweet culturally relevant again. And um, Dusty Rhodes' son, Cody Rhodes, is the leader of that group. And he left WWE to, to join the Bullet Club. And I, I, I could not tell you why it's named the Bullet Club. But they throw around the two sweet. WWE sent them a cease and desist. And what I'm trying to get at here is that I am waiting this year for a baseball team to start throwing the two sweets up. Because it is that damn big. Like they're gonna, <laughs> and and I, I feel like that's a good baseball thing, you know. I you know they, it's you know it's gonna be Bryce. Oh, uh, it it you know it's gonna be Bryce. <laughs> but but then you with Bryce it's weird, right? Because on one hand you have Bryce is the make baseball fun again, but then he says meme instead of meme. Oh, he does not. Does he say meme? He does. He had the press conference. Oh, my and, God. And he said, did, oh. did you see the meme online? You didn't see. <laughs> oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. I promise you. He said there's a lot of memes. <laughs> and not, oh, not, not ironically, did I just break Harper for you? I'm sorry. No, that's, oh, dude, dude. <laughs> I can. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'm gonna pull this up for uh, you right now because I know how many memes are gonna be out there of me with a bald head. So, <laughs> oh god, that was on uh, the, that was on the Scott Van Pelt show. It was uh, he know he knows that if he if he were to shave his head, there would be many memes of it out there. Bryce, make baseball enunciate again. <laughs> Bryce isn't make too- baseball make baseball pronounce things right again, dude. Come on. Omar Manaya signed hooked on phonics. <laughs> <laughs> Omar Manaya just signed uh, gifs instead of gifs. <laughs> so when Bryce Harper signs his New York Mets contract next year, how's that going to work? His- It'll be on Play-Doh because it's not really going to exist. <laughs> his New York Mets contre, at, at the very least. His, his contre, yes. Oh my God, Bryce Harper! Bryce Harper as a Met will uh, produce a lot of memes. Travis Darno and uh, Kevin Plawecki, <laughs> your two favorite people, will they hit twenty on drones combined? Combined, yes. Yes, I think they will. So over or push? Over. Over on the Darno and Plawecki. What about Stephen? I think Darno. I think Darno will hit two thirty, but yeah, they'll hit. They'll, <laughs> they'll hit over twenty home runs combined. So you're a little bit more bullish on them than you were. I I think Pulwecki's gonna have gonna gonna 
going to have a better year than uh, than everybody thinks. I think I, I, I'm willing to. I, I'm. I I will buy on Ploiecki. I'm I will I'm bullish on Ploiecki. I'm still bearish on Darno. Okay, and and Darno's I... still going to have to prove it to me. I don't want to hear about September. <laughs> I don't want to hear about September of last year. I want him to hit major league pitching. <laughs> so I don't want him to hit quadruple A call ups. <laughs> I love I love how upset you are with Darno. It's it's probably my favorite ongoing narrative of yours. I I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm more upset with I may be more upset with Darno than 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 I ever was with Duda. Really? And I don't know. And I, I don't. I know. I, I, I and maybe that's just. The, uh, the, the, um, Duda's transformation maybe clouding my judgment of what he was, but I, I, yeah, it's just, I think the, I think the fact that they just stick with all these players too long. <laughs> I, I think, too, I mean, and, and it worked, you know, it, listen, it worked with Duda. I get it. I know everybody wants to be, you know, patient. With, but 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 if he, if if Darno does spit the bit this year, how many more chances are we going to give him? How many more chances is Darno going to get if he if he hits two thirty again this year and is a disaster behind the plate? Because he's a disaster behind behind the plate defensively. So if he hits two eighty with fifteen homers, then you're a little bit better with him. If he hits two eighty with fifteen homers, I'm fine with him because that's that, that's listen. If he hits if he go if he hits two. 50 with 15 home runs, I'd be pleased. Okay, okay. And if he and if he replicated, and if he didn't roll balls to second base on steal attempts, isn't that what you're supposed to do to prevent Tommy John? Though, I thought that was the new rule. Roll the ball, roll the ball to second base. Yeah, he's just ahead of the curve. He's <laughs> trying to get more value out of his age 36 and 37 seasons. You see? Oh, okay. Understood. Yeah, I mean, if he wastes all of his Understood. bullets, so yeah. he's, a, he's ahead of the curve. He is. He is. It's the new metric. It's the roll of the ball <laughs> tactic. He's trying to pre- career <laughs> preservation, man. That's what it's all about. I mean, he doesn't want to end up. He doesn't want to end up like Stephen Matz, right? No, no. By the way, Stephen or, Matz. Or Matt Wieters. No, absolutely not. Who would want to be paid ten million dollars by the Washington Nationals? Who? No, not me. <laughs> uh, Twelve starts for the uh, for the young Mats. Well, since I kept them on my fantasy team, I'm going to go over. Ooh, but personal bias but aside, I do, I do think uh, that personal bias. But I do think that that Mats is going to be okay. Mats, <coughs> I'm willing to give Mats one more year. Um, because Degrom had the same injury and came back okay. And you're also and with the Callaway regime in protecting pitchers by by making them throw, I I am actually almost really ex, I'm really curious, borderline excited to see what kind of jump Stephen Mass will make. Okay, I'm I'm with you. So you would rather potentially inefficient Mats and then live with Grumpy Wheeler. Yes, I think you have to live with Grumpy Wheeler. I'm sorry, Wheeler. You're just, Wheeler's just going to have to be grumpy <laughs> to start the season. He's just going to have to be grumpy. So we I have too many guys. I, I don't mean to put a fork in this, but like, um, do you think that Wheeler is even going to be a good reliever? Because I'm not, I'm not sold on his metrics right now. And yeah, and I'm, I'm not sold on the fact that he walks four guys for nine innings, and I don't know if that uh, projects to be a good reliever. But yeah. I don't think the Mets really have a choice. In in this matter, <clears throat> but I do think 
if anything, Wheeler could be that long man that the Mets need. And I'm going to say it again. If the, if, if Callaway's only going to, going to go two times through the lineup with Matts, with guys like Matts and Harvey and even Vargas, you need a long guy. You need a guy that's going to come in for an, for an inning or two and be a crossover guy. And maybe that's Wheeler. Maybe that's Lugo. Maybe that's even Gazelman. You do need a long guy so that you, you don't have to carry 15 pitchers on the roster, which is where we're going. Yeah. And with these new, with these new pitching um, philosophies, it seems to be where we're going. And I don't like that. You, or would you be in favor for 26 or 27 man rosters eventually? I think we should have went to 26 a long time ago. <laughs> and I think that's going to happen. Oh, well, that's going to, that's going to happen to try and keep, um, the, uh, the 40 man roster down in September so that there's not 8,000 pitching changes then, which is absurd. So yeah, I think 20, I think 26 is going to happen very soon, but you know, what's going to happen one, you give managers 26 players, you know, that that 26 player is going to be a pitcher. It has to be, yeah. And probably... Nobody's going to carry an extra second baseman. And why would they? It, it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, there, there has to be certainly one. Not in the, certainly not in the American League, but I don't think in the National League either. No, definitely not. Unless there's like a supreme instance where they have someone that's like a Billy Hamilton but literally can't pick up the bat or, they, or a team tries to go out and sign Usain Bolt. You know, at, like that would be the right. only thing that I think could. I'd love that. I'd love somebody to teach Usain Bolt how to run the bases and see what happens. <laughs> Do you even try to give him a bat, or you just say go? No, no, no. He's a pinch runner. Only um, what uh, Jabari Blash is kind of that guy. Um, the Yankees, I think, just released him. I think he ended up back with the Padres. I think they, I think they traded him. I, th- I, th- I thought they traded him to the Angels. Oh, okay. Did did he actually get picked up? Okay. I thought that they traded him to the uh, to the Angels, but I can I can check that. Man, I'm I w- almost positive that was a trade. Okay. Okay. Well, the the Mets have no need. They have uh, moral standing citizen Jose Reyes to steal all <clears throat> the bases this year. So good. <clears throat> Ahmed Rosario's playmate. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope there's a nice Chuck E. Cheese in that new Willis Point complex. Um, yeah. But uh, AJ. Yeah, he was February 21st. Um, Jabari Bash Blash traded to the Angels for a player to be named. Okay. Okay. And uh, I- I- good for him uh, for getting picked up. The Angels are going to be sneaky good. So um, Adrian Gonzalez, 81 games played. Under. Under uh, significantly, or I don't think, I don't think his back's back's gonna ha- gonna uh, uh, hold up. So we're getting mostly Smith at first base in your book this year. I think so. Yes. Okay. The New York Yankees, three playoff games. Over. I think they're gonna. I think the Yankees are gonna win the wild card again. Okay. I think Let me. Yeah. Over. I think over 162 games. Boston's the better team still. Division. But I think the Yankees could turn out to be the better playoff team. Okay, so let but me. Yeah. On top of that, I still think the Astros are the best team in the American League. So I see things working very similar the way they were to the way they worked last year. Three playoff wins for the New York Yankees. I'll still say over. Okay. Okay. So you're confident. So the minutes. Yeah, the Yankees. Uh, yeah, I see the Yankees winning the first round. So this goes back to their wild card opponent. The Minnesota Twins, one playoff game. That's it. I got to think about that. 
because you got the you know that that division is no I, you know what I say under okay I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs because and I know I say this every year and every year I'm wrong but I think the playoff team is gonna come out of the West okay okay I think you're gonna because because you got Houston's gonna win the rest the West but. I do. I, I think the Angels are going to win the wild card. I think it's going to be Yankees Angels in the wild card game. Okay, okay, that's a good prediction. So, on the Angels, there's an enigma. Let's go with 15 starts and 15 home runs for Shohei Otani, and you can divvy that up any way you like. I'm going to go over on the starts. I think I'm going to go under on the home runs. Okay. Okay, so confident in because his- I think he's gonna I think he's gonna turn out at least in the beginning to be to be more of a pitcher than a hitter, and then slowly slowly develop into it. You're right, exactly. I think the hitting's gonna take a little bit. By the way, did you know that in Yahoo Fantasy Sports, they give you the option to draft Otani as two different players? Are you into that? Because that's weird to me. It's I, I like the way ESPN does it better. Because uh, I'm also in an ESPN league, and ESPN is is making Otani one player, but his stats you can you can you can play him as a pitcher, or you can play him as an outfielder, okay, or or a hitter. But you can't have him you can't have him be both in the same day. It's like in your drop down menu, like if you know, you could ha- you could put a guy in an infield or outfield slot if he plays both. Right, so, right, right. The way the way it works with Otani is, you know, you can have him be a pitcher, or you could, or you could, or you could choose outfield or first base or DH on your drop down or utility. So but you can't have both. I like that method better than than the two alternate sliding doors Otani's. I do too, because then you could have to, you might have to draft him twice and take two out of your twenty five spots or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And who would do that? Yeah, that makes no sense, and he's too unproven for that. So it's it's uh, yeah. yeah, no no good. Um, and then I have next is an interesting one. It's an allusion to something that we've talked about in the past. The St. Okay. Louis Cardinals and Albert Pujols have one game together, not against each other. Pujols suits up for one game. I think he still has so much left, so much time left on that contract. I think there's time for that to happen. But I don't think it's going to be this year. I do think yes. Pujols will retire as a Cardinal, but I don't know if he's actually ever going to suit up for them. <clears throat> and I certainly don't think it'll be this year. Over under ten thousand fans per game at at uh, Tropicana Field. No, you know you know why I'm thinking about it. It's definitely going to be under. I'm wondering if it's going to be under five thousand a game. <laughs> you so you think some minor league teams will outdraw them? I think some. Yes, I do, and it's a shame. It, it really is. A shame, because look, I mean, we, we, I had this discussion last night on the on the radio show um, about whether this is a tank job or whether this is just what what the what teams like the Rays and the Marlins and even the Astros have always done, which is race to the bottom and prepare for either that new ballpark or for the inevitable move to Montreal or wherever. Right. I think it's a shame that – and listen, Longoria is one thing because he is a veteran. He's got money coming to him, and the Rays aren't going anywhere this year. I mean we knew that even when they had everybody. They weren't going to go anywhere with the Yankees and Red Sox 
returning to uh, the nuclear proliferation <laughs> that they've got undergone. Yeah, and you got Toronto and Baltimore that are going to be in the mix as well. You know, the Rays would do themselves well to trade guys like Odorizzi and Longoria. Right. But when you're talking about Souza and uh, and then next and Corey Dickerson being traded to the Pirates, when you're talking guys like that, now we're, that's criminal to me, and that's that's a shame because you're just you. They had better hope that this ballpark in Ybor City, the Ybor District, happens. If because if that happens, then you could say, all right, they've been working towards this, and they're going to be good now when we're in Ybor City, and we can actually draw twenty to twenty-five thousand a game. Because if they go to Ybor City in three, four years, they're going to draw twenty to twenty-five thousand a game. I truly believe that. I truly believe that this is about location of the ballpark. Not about what the ballpark is, and not even about um, Tampa being a baseball town. Because Tampa can be a baseball town. They fully embraced the Lightning. You know why? Why? Because that stadium, that arena is downtown. Right. You can go there for a night game and go right home, and you're not completely tired going to work the next day. Right. Tampa, is St. Petersburg is a hall for Tampa residents to go on that skyway for an hour and then come back for, uh, which takes an hour. And that's even with no traffic, that stadium, they need a stadium in downtown Tampa, in the downtown Tampa area. And if they don't get it, they're gone. And, And they should be, and they probably should be gone now it's absurd that there is that amazing fan base in Montreal that has absolutely nothing. You love it, and I'm jealous of you that you've gotten to see those games. And I'm sure places like Nashville, which we've heard a lot about, and Memphis, and maybe not Vegas, but maybe in the picture there. Uh, and Ybor City sounds amazing. Now, you've been to Ybor City or no? I mean, I was in downtown Tampa uh, last October and I stayed and I was downtown and, uh, and, and, and yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, um, it's, you could definitely put a ballpark there. And if you put a ballpark down there, they're going to, then, then Tampa will respond. Tampa will come. They will. It's just so much easier to get to Ybor city and, and Amelie arena for the lightning than it is to get to Tropicana field. I go so far as to say if they had originally built Tropicana Field in Ybor City, they would draw a lot more than – I was a lot, but significantly more than they have in the past. Yeah, they'd still need a new ballpark, but you wouldn't talk – you wouldn't be talking about, oh, Tampa's got to move. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I really think location is the key for that team. I, re- I really, truly believe that. Absolutely. And and I think it's really interesting. And, and this is probably going to be a bit more of an expansive uh, kind of injection here. But um, as baseball grows in popularity worldwide, expansion seems to be the next logical step. But with two teams, both of which are in Florida, um, seemingly always either on the precipice of rebuilding or rebuilding and without much real fanfare or culture to those fan bases – 
it's a lot of people say, well, why don't you move those teams first before you consider expanding to Mexico City or whatnot? So if the Rays are able to actually develop a new stadium and culture, do you think that Ybor City could actually be different than what happened with Miami once Miami received its new stadium? Because I, is ownership going to be vastly different or is ownership maybe part of the issue down there as well? Do they need to completely have an organizational restructure or is this primarily a stadium and venue issue? I honestly think the stadium venue and location issue. I, I don't think ownership in T- Tampa has ever really had the chance <clears throat> to develop a base. And I, and they had, you know, they had that um, American league championship in 2008, but they, they didn't draw after that either. They, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like when the Marlins won in 97 and they immediately shipped everybody out. Like, like in, in, instantaneously. Yeah. Shipped everybody out. Tampa at least tried. Mm-hmm. They tried to build off that 2018, and they tried to build off of that incredible wild card appearance in 2011. They tried. That ownership is it is good. That is good, solid ownership. I don't think that's the problem. I do. I think it's stadium and venue, and I think that once that they get that i think they could i mean listen they're never going to be the yankees they're never going to be the red sox they're never going to be those type of teams but i don't think it's beyond the realm to consider them in the ballpark of say a toronto or baltimore in that decision in that division where they can compete on a mid-level payroll of maybe about 100 to 110 million a year and try to compete that way and still go through, go primarily through their farm system and through the draft. I I really do believe that. I don't know if it's ever going to happen in Miami. I don't know it, what the issue in Miami is. I just don't think that's a particularly great sports town. I don't think it, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure it ever was. I, I think the best that sports town was was when the Dolphins were were really good, and that was the seventies and the eighties. So I don't I don't think the I don't think that that's a viable sports town like Tampa could be a viable sports town. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Um, I, I heard a lot of rumors about a soccer team going to Miami, and they said that that's going to be the thing that finally makes Miami a a credible sports town. So maybe we'll see with that, and that might make a we'll little see. bit more sense. Um, but David Beckham owning that team too. And, and at, uh, on, uh, I don't know if it was an MLS team or the other, or the NASL. I forget. I think it's an MLS team, but, uh, David Beckham owning that team will give it a little cachet. And I think they'll, I think that'll work out. But again, I, you know, I, I thought Miami would work. You know, I was told that Miami would be a great baseball town, but it just never happened. Eric Hosmer. Over under one point five wins above replacement. Over. Over. I think the deep. I, I think I and will um, will provide a lot of that war, and I think he'll be somewhat adequate offensively for them. So yeah, I'm going to say I'll say over. I'll say um I'll say he could be a two point three war player. Can I go off a little bit about this? Yes, please do. Okay. I you haven't had be happy. 
happy because he because you were right. He signed with San Diego instead of Kansas City. Yeah. So on one hand, I'm happy. I'm happy that the San Diego Padres went out and got their guy. I'm happy that the San Diego Padres are once again making moves and trying to remain competitive in a division that seems all but given to go to the Los Angeles Dodgers yet again. That being said, the Eric Hosmer move is not just confounding, it's troubling to me. And I'll tell you why it's troubling to me. It's because entering his age 28 season, Hosmer has been a model of stability. In four of his last five seasons, he has played at least 158 games. And having that kind of consistency and reliability is certainly worth money. But for a player that to this point in his career, over seven full major league seasons, has produced 14.1 wins above replacement. Now, simple math will tell you that is two wins above replacement per year. But Hosmer is not a player that has gradually increased or even been consistent over the course of his career. Eric Hosmer is a good offensive player when he's on and a mediocre one when he's not. Judging based off of baseball references model, he has been worth, over the course of, of the last four seasons, from 2014 through 2017, 0.4 offensive war, 3.6, 1.6, and 4.8, with 2017 serving as the model of excellence. That being said, he's been given many a gold glove for defense that is generally not well regarded by advanced statistics. I'm not going to lay all my butt... Uh, eggs into the advanced statistics, or specifically defensive war. It is by no means a tell-all stat. But this has been consistent. Over the course of his career, he has been worth 16.2 offensive war and negative 8 defensive wins above replacement, neutralizing his overall production to 14.1 wins above replacement. Eric Hosmer received an 8-year contract for a player that in his career has been worth 781, uh, that has produced a 781 on-base plus slugging percentage. This is a player that got paid, and I'm happy that he got paid. This is not a slight against Eric Hosmer. This is a slight against the market. Because for his career, there is a player named Lucas Duda that has produced a 796 on-base plus slugging in Lucas Duda. A 796. Now, granted, his defensive war is not great, and he's suffered injuries. But are you going to go and tell me that Lucas Duda, at 32 years old, cannot find a guaranteed contract worth $10 million? And granted, he was injured part of last year, but also worth a win above replacement. I'm not saying that Lucas Duda is Eric Hosmer or that he will produce to the same level. What I'm saying is the market is maddening, not because Eric Hosmer gets eight years, but because players like Lucas Duda, Mark Reynolds, and Logan Morrison are so severely undervalued. What I'm saying is that signing Eric Hosmer to an eight-year contract is once again great for the player and great for the player's union. I'm not discounting that. But what I'm saying is the money that he received is probably not in the favor of the Padres. What I'm saying is that 
he was so overvalued and that Scott Boris was so good at his job that it makes the other players seem less valuable when it's really not the case. So my question here, and I did pose this to you at some point, is if Lucas Duda is going to be able to produce 20 or 40%, let's just say 40% of what Eric Hosmer is going to produce, why is Lucas Duda only going to receive $4 million on a guarantee this season? Why is that the case? Because it bothers me that he held out and got eight years while there are other perfectly capable players that may not even find a team for opening day. I think this goes back to what we've always been saying about fostering clubhouse chemistry, signing a guy because he's good in the clubhouse. And honestly, I think with the, I think this is lightning in a, in a bottle for Hosmer because I, I think it's just every circumstance being right. And you, you list them with Hosmer. Well, we'll just talk about Hosmer for right now. Yeah. He – he is um, he's durable. He hasn't been hasn't been injury prone. He plays generally uh, what, 140 to 150 games a year. And 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 uh, and and catch me if I'm wrong about that. Absolutely, no, no, you you're completely but right. He strikes to me as as a durable player, somebody who uh, while he struggles against lefties, um, is a little bit more consistent in his splits. A little bit is more of a, of a doubles hitter than an all-or-nothing power hitter, which would work better in that ballpark. And, you know, this is the guy – and I, I'm the guy who said that Doug Mankiewicz might have been a better, <laughs> a better fit than Carlos Delgado at one point because of the same thing. So don't trust me when it comes to that. <laughs> but I'm just trying to see what the, what the Padres are thinking. And also, with a bunch of young guys on that team, with with those up and coming guys, they're looking for somebody for those players to kind of galvanize them to rally around. This is again, this is Jason Worth all over again. This is okay. We're gonna find the best fit for this room going forward. This isn't a signing for this year. This is a signing for that for that fourth year. That fifth year and that sixth year right it's for those years basically and in return he's getting the seventh and eighth year because that was the only way that they were going to get him now are you when it and when it comes to a hosmer versus duda argument yeah it's you know duda has better offensive numbers but that's the you know they're not thinking in those terms they're thinking about who's the best leader for that team. And, and, and they think that Hosmer, because he's got that ring that he could, he could throw out there and flesh out because he's probably a more vocal leader than Duda. And with all the other things, that's why they thought that he was, that was that guy. Is it right? We'll find out. But I think that's what they're thinking. I think 18 million a year, isn't a bad price. For Hosmer, eight years might be crazy, and the fact that it's the Padres doing this makes you shake your head because it's like, okay, the Padres open the vault for somebody, and it's Hosmer. Yeah. So it's a little. I'm kind of seeing where the, where what they're thinking with that. 
I don't know if it's right. And I do think that if they wind up trading a guy like Hunter Renfro to make room for Hosmer, I think that would, would be a, a uh, I think that might wind up blowing up in their faces. Uh-huh. I'd almost see if I could trade Will Myers before I trade a young guy like Renfro. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll see what the Padres are doing. I mean, AJ Preller has already shown us that he can't be trusted. Right. And I think that's so. Let's see what he does going forward. Yeah, and I can't wait to see because I think this season is going to be super interesting with um, how the Padres progress. And I really like what you said about trading Renfro, who appears to be the odd man out, would be a huge mistake. And you were spot on with some of your statistics. Just to tack on to what you said, he's averaged 149 games a year. He's averaged 29.4, 25 and a half, 29 and a half doubles. A season, So you're getting the value out of him. How that's going to translate? Well, here's why. Apparently, he crushes the National League West. But then I took a step back and I said, wait a minute. He's played in the AL Central the entire time. If you're going to use small sample sizes to justify a $140 million signing, then damn, man, I hit lefties really well in slow pitch softball. You know? Sign me. <laughs> you know, like this is this is something that I'm really confounded about. Really confused about, and I think that we would all stand to benefit uh, to see how they do because Preller is can't be trusted based on his track record. He's been um, audited. He's been he's made big moves, but to his credit, he's built up this farm system to the point where people are talking now, and talk is cheap, but action isn't. And if Hosmer comes in and produces well in the middle of this lineup with Myers, and the Padres are around a 500 team, then you have an ultra-interesting West where you can conceivably have four playoff contenders in that division, in the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the Dodgers, uh, and even the Giants. The whole division could be really damn competitive. It could be the NL West. Uh, it could be the AL East of the West. And um, I'm just a little uh, – I'm with you on everything you said. Um, I don't agree – with the signing overall, and it does go back to the clubhouse chemistry, as we've alluded to. Um, right. <clears throat> and what, what I want, what I wanted to say here, is that if this doesn't work out, do you think that this has a bigger implication for free agents moving forward that are going to demand the seventh and eighth year? Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot resting. To, to, to keep it short, oh, absolutely, because you know, GMs are moving in that direction anyway with the with the shorter deals. You know, Hosmer again, another one of those lightning in a bottle aspects is that Hosmer's only twenty eight, twenty nine, so he could justify getting a longer term deal because he's he's hit free agency younger. A guy like Jake Arrieta, who I believe is thirty two, can't really justify that eight year deal because. It's the age 37, 38, 39, 40 that they don't want to pay for anymore. You know, there, there's, there's no, there, there ain't going to be another 10 year deal for a 31 year old like there was with Albert Pujols. Absolutely. Who basically has fallen off the table. And I think <laughs> that is what the, uh, the GMs don't want to do. They don't want to pay for 38, 39, and 40. They'll go maybe to 37. But that's that's about it. So if Hosmer doesn't pan out, then yeah, even if Hosmer does pan out, I think that uh, I don't think that GMs are gonna are gonna all of a sudden start going eight year deals 
again, just because Hosmer panned out. And also, I think the the um, the criteria for whether the Hosmer deal is a good deal or not is going to be a little different internally for San Diego than it will be externally for us. You know, for us, we're thinking, oh, well, for this deal to work, he's got to hit 280 in that final year, and he's got to um, be consistent, and he's got to have this much uh, this much war and this many home runs and th- and this much of an uh, OPS and whatnot. I think for San Diego, their definition of success is, hey, is he upright in those last couple of years? And has he taught those young players how to win and how to be major leaguers while providing decent production for us? Right. While while providing, say, 20 homers, 85 ribbies, 280 average. Can Can he do that and be and be a galvanizing force in that? clubhouse i think that that's what they're thinking and and listen it's a it's a it's a fine line because we've talked about signing guys because of clubhouse chemistry and you know my my problem is signing two two twenty hitters and and giving them major roles because of clubhouse chemistry it was you know the jeff frank cores of the world the bobby abreu's of the world and guys guys like that i think this year it was a little necessary for the Mets to do that to an extent. Um, but I do think it is organic. And I think, I think Hosmer signing was done in a way to create an organic chemistry. Not that, you know, Hosmer's going to come in, be happy and smiling and they're going to r- win right away. No, I think it's more of a long-term plan. Kind of the same thing, although a little different with Russell Martin in Toronto. Russell Martin went to a veteran team that was all over the place. And Martin was brought in to say, okay, we've got focus, calm down. That wasn't a young team he was going into. That was a team that just needed direction. So, you know, something like that, okay, that's as long as you could still produce, then the chemistry can take care of itself. I don't like signing guys just because of chemistry. And that, I think, is what the Mets do more often than other teams. And that's what I have an issue with. Yeah. And I'm with you. And actually looking at the contract breakdown of Hosmer, I actually am a fan of this contract now. I didn't think I would be, but he's paid 21 million a year for the first four seasons and then 13 million a year for the final four. So and I'm shocked that hasn't happened more often. Yeah. In but, baseball. I don't get it. Yeah. The equal distribution or gradual increase. It, it, it makes sense. And like, if you ask me right now, or let me ask you, would you have signed Hosmer to a four-year, $84 million contract, and then the next time, a four-year, what, like 50-something million dollar it contract? 50, it would be 52. Right. Um, and then that seems more yeah, fair. Yeah, you know, I think <clears throat> that that's, I think that's reasonable. Right. And when you break it down that way, I think it's reasonable. Yeah. I'm with you. And um And it makes it easier and listen, it makes it easier for uh for the team to trade Hosmer somewhere if it doesn't work out for the player and for the team. Uh I know some players I think some players like those backloaded deals because it means they're they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That they don't want to move. But I think that, that there's gonna have to be some give and take between players and owners when it comes to that. I think opt outs and I think Hosmer has an opt out 
Yes, he does. After deal. or am I wrong? No, he absolutely does. He has an opt out after the fourth year. So before his thirteen, 13- I think opt outs are going to be so. So yeah, you could basically have a situation where he's he's an eighty years, and then if he thinks he can make more than fifty two, then you've got that opt out. You know, maybe maybe at the, by that time the Red Sox will need a first baseman and will overpay. So I think that that's the great equalizer. I think if you want to have uh, long term deals like that. You structure it that way, and then that's your great equalizer. <laughs> or, or more than likely, the Mets go and sign Eric Hosmer before his age thirty-two, se- uh, before his age thirty-three season. Of course. Oh, Jesus, can you imagine? I, I don't think we'll have to imagine. If I'm gonna... we're signing, if we're signing Eric Hosmer in four years, then that's that's not a good sign because that means that not only Dom Smith is gone, but that Peter Alonso was a bust. <laughs> and it also means so that's that that's not a good sign. And it also means that the clubhouse has never quite recovered from Curtis Granderson going away. So, uh, right. Oh my God. I don't think that's going to be, pro- I think that Todd Frazier is like a Granderson clone. I hope in numbers and influence. I Todd Frazier is basically Curtis Granderson. I hope his walk rate stays high, man. That's, that scares the hell yeah. out of me. If it drops, man, he's Curtis Granderson light, and Curtis Granderson's already yeah. light. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, well, man. Curtis, well, Curtis Granderson, when he, when he was at his best, had a very good walk rate. Oh, amazing. When he stopped walking, that that was the problem. Yeah. And he was amazing up until last season. Amazing. And I hope he yeah. does well with the Jays. So I was analyzing Yoannis Cespedes. And Yoannis Cespedes has been a polarizing figure with the New York Mets. Probably mostly beloved because of his contribution in 2015 and how he served as the catalyst for the team to reach its first World Series in 15 years. That being said, criticisms of him have emerged, whether it be his golf, his lack of hustle, or whatever narrative you may have of him. Yoannis Cespedes has done a lot of good for the team as well. He did sign with the Mets on what some believe to be a discount in either years or dollar amount. He said he loves New York, but then he'll have moments where he comes out and says, well, you know, I do want to finish my career with the Oakland A's and Bob Melvin is the best manager I've ever played for. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't isn't Terry Collins? Anyway, so so his polarizing effects aside, Yohannes Cespedes has been a great ball player when he's been on the field and more than capable of carrying the New York Mets. And that's been seen. And now that he's undergone a transformation, giving up golf, developing yoga, becoming a Zen master, essentially heading into this season, not like Phil Jackson, definitely not, but nevertheless, he is a great contributor. And when I took a look into Ioannis Cespedes' statistics, I realized that his career wins above replacement currently stands at 20.7. And that's pretty solid for six major league seasons, of which he's spent some time on the disabled list. So it got me thinking, if Ioannis Cespedes had been in the major leagues since he was capable of being so, so let's say his age 22 or 23 season, would he be on a Hall of Fame track? And so I did basic math. I said, well... When he came up, he was worth 3.9 wins above replacement in 2012. So let's say that from 2009 through 2011, he was worth three wins above replacement each. Okay, so that would put him at 32. So right now, if he finished out his contract and played through his 39, 
he would be on a, on a major league track. But this discussion is not necessarily about Cespedes, John. This is now going to be about baseball. He won't reach the Baseball Hall of Fame, barring a complete tear where he has three or four seasons of six to eight war. But he was a productive player in Cuba. This is the National Baseball Hall of Fame, not the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. And he was a very productive player in Cuba. He's been a trailblazer and essentially served as a model for teams having consistency and trust that Cuban players can be brought to the United States and have some kind of impact and be given money and and with some confidence that they can produce. So, John, my question to you here is, should the Baseball Hall of Fame consider both influence and outside league numbers in Hall of Fame consideration? And if so, if Ioannis Cespedes goes on and does produce four wins above replacement, not only through his next three seasons with the Mets, but then just trails off and does 3-3-2-2, should he have other consideration to be elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame? Wow. That <laughs> is a great question. Uh, I I think it opens up a lot of can, cans of worms with that because if you say, all right, well, Cespedes did enough in Cuba – to be uh, to be elected into the Hall of Fame on a combination of what he did there and here, then then you could say, well, look at what, and I'll just throw this out there as an example. Like, look, look at what um, uh, uh, Hideo Nomo did in Japan, or let's put in let's put in what um, Kenta Maeda did or, or what um, uh, Hiroki Kuroda did. Because you could say the same about Hiroki Kuroda. Right. You know, Hiroki Kuroda did a lot in Japan to to be considered, like if you put in those numbers, to be considered for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then you'll have people argue, well, Japan, the Japanese play, league, they play in shoeboxes. So can you really count those numbers? I think it opens up a ton of cans of worms to do that. So it's really, really tricky to say, okay, let's start putting in international numbers. Now, when you talk about, you know, the influence that they've had in baseball, then I think you can, uh, you can make a case like Ichiro. Right. If Ichiro, you know, it's like Ichiro is a slam dunk without the Japanese numbers. But even if, if Ichiro, was a borderline candidate here in, uh, in with his United States numbers. Let's say his United States numbers, his Major League Baseball numbers alone make him a borderline candidate. Right. Then maybe you could say, okay, we'll put him in because he was, he was influential. And right. he has one of the most incredible records in baseball, which is hits in a season. Um, so, you know, that might be a case where you would say, okay, let's, that's the tiebreaker, but I don't know about just saying, okay, we're going to, we're just going to count everybody's international numbers because then you can put a lot more guys in the hall of fame. Then you, you have, then you got to talk about a guy like Kaz Matsui. Then you got to talk about a guy like Tsuyoshi Shinjo, who was great in Japan. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, I'm not... do we really want Tsuyoshi Shinjo in the hall of fame? Well, here's what I'm saying. And yes, we do. Of course, we do. Um, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying 
that he should go in based on the merit of his numbers or that any international player should necessarily go. But what I'm saying is if their impact on the game has been profound and they had the production to match. So like with Cespedes, let's let's take a little bit of a deeper dive. So far in the major leagues, he's hit 154 home runs. In Cuba, beginning at age 17 and going through 2011, he hit 136. So in his professional career, he's hit 290. Okay, that's pretty damn good for a 31-year-old. So if he hits an average of 30 home runs a season, which definitely doable uh, through his age 39. So let's say he does 40, 40, and then trails off and eventually dips to the 20s, but average of 30 through over the next eight seasons. That gets him to 240 more home runs, which gives him 530 for his career overall, which is a lot of... And, home- how, many, and how many in his major league career? For about 400? It would be 530 uh, minus 136. It would be... Wait. 530 minus 136. Yeah, it would be about 394. So it'd be 394. Okay. So he'd have about 394 in his major league career. He would, he would have... need to have enough enough numbers and enough defensive prowess to be borderline here. So I think you're talking about Cespedes, you know, to be at least at least a 400 home run guy with stellar defense. And, and let's put some postseason success in there as well. Let's give him a couple of World Series appearances with the Mets. Let's give <laughs> him – because if you're talking influence, if, right. if you're going to throw the word influence around, part of influence is what you do in the playoffs. Then we can't say, okay, well, look at his regular season numbers and forget about what he did in the playoffs. Right. You can't say that with a guy like Cespedes. Now – now you have to you have to factor in playoff success, just like Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling, playoff success, influence in the game. Then, um, if Cespedes has that, then you could kind of say, okay, let's consider him for the Hall of Fame. Now, I will say this: if you're talking Cuban players, and you're going to throw influence in the game around then you can't put Cespedes in without putting in uh, Louis Tiant. Well, then maybe you do because, well, here's my thing. This goes broader. We were talking about expansion earlier, right? And it is the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So therefore, American Baseball Hall of Fame, I guess. Right. But if you want the game to grow and you want the game to be taken seriously on a worldwide level, then electing some of the international superstars that really did pave the way for other generations to make it in this country, or at least in the big leagues, because it's the right. National Baseball Hall of Fame. Which is why you have to put in Louis Tion. Yeah, and and I would be cool with that, you know? like. But Louis Tion, Louis Tion had that combination of success in the major leagues and influence ball player. Right. Okay, so, that, so yeah, I would have no, you would, you would have that. But what you're saying is, you know, Sadaharo had influence in baseball. He was very influential in Japanese baseball and in turn was very influential here as well because he was his name was famous here in the States for being the home run in Japan, having more home runs than Hank Aaron. 
So do you put Sadahara all in the Hall of Fame? Is Sadahara all in the Hall of Fame? Well, in terms of baseball influence, I mean, ba- <laughs> right. I mean, no, yeah, I mean, here's the thing: like in terms of baseball influence, he was so big in Japan that he should almost get in on like the veterans committee because he inspired so many people to play. You know, like th- if this right. is the baseball Hall of Fame. I'm actually going to make a comparison. I don't give WWE a lot of credit, and I'm sorry for non-WWE fans. Well, I was actually thinking more about, like, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's a comparison because you're talking – because the Basketball Hall of Fame is the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's not the NBA Hall of Fame. Right. So you have a lot of players that – you know, a lot of international players that are in. You've got a lot of women's players that were in. That were that were influential, like Nancy Lieberman, and and people like that. You've got a guy like uh, I, um, and I'm trying to think of a good example. I, uh, I see the name Arvita Sabonis comes to mind because he was such a good international player and he had a very good NBA career. But his NBA career on its own wouldn't be Hall of Fame. But when you combine his his international numbers, I think I think that got him in. But I don't. But my mind isn't clear on that. But they do. There are examples of people in the basketball hall of fame, so that that make it on influence <laughs> rather than just they were really good basketball players. So basically, I think what you're saying is let's have the baseball hall of fame be more like the basketball hall of fame. Yes, I think that's what you're saying. Yes, absolutely, and I think it's going to be vital for baseball to expand worldwide. Because if you want people, if, if, I mean, how important is it for Japan and for Mexico and for you know, baseball and developing and not developing countries, but countries where baseball is developing and gaining popularity, Australia. Right. And like at, Brazil. Yes, exactly. For them. Brazil, Australia. Yeah. To, for them to say, wow, this is a trailblazer and we're recognized here. I want to be there one day. You know, like I'm not saying that these players I'm not saying that Yoannis Cespedes is equal to Hank Aaron and I I don't think anyone would argue that but I don't think any player has I think every player is valuable in their own right and you can have a best players but then Hall of Fame kind of connotes something different they should be famous for legacy too there's different spectrums so um I, I think that's interesting. I think that moving forward, it's just something to be considered. But if Cespedes has eight more seasons of three-plus war, then I think that he should be an outside candidate for a veterans committee in the future because I don't know if the writers – A borderline, yeah. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, it could be. It, it could be. I just think that that in terms of you – know, I, I don't know if Cespedes was much an influential ball player for – for the country of Cuba. You know, that's why I say that, you know, I, I would think of, I, I don't think of Cespedes when I think of, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think of Cespedes when I think of influential baseball players from Cuba, uh, influential Cuban baseball players. I, I think of him as just a player, a very good player who happens to be Cuban. When I think of <laughs> Louis Tiant, I think of somebody who was more of a trailblazer of players from that country that was very successful here. Okay. So I think you're think I think you're thinking along the right lines, but I don't know if you're thinking of the right player. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. 
Uh, yeah, and and probably not. <laughs> I think Cespedes still has to be has to put up stats that are par to American uh, to to Major League Baseball Hall of Famers to get in. I don't think I don't know if borderline gets him in with the tiebreaker being what he did in Cuba. Because what he did in Cuba wasn't, I don't know how influential it is outside of just he put up good numbers there. Yeah, and, and to that point, that's incredibly fair. Um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be an argument if he can get to 400 major league home runs, but probably he'll drop off kind of like Delgado. Um, I was just curious because right. I well, think— Well, you know, yeah. listen, keep doing the yoga <laughs> and stop the smoking and you got a shot. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, I would crack up, though, if he was still smoking um, while he was doing the yoga, though. Yeah, you expect me to be fully yeah, healthy? The, the, at the same time. At the same time, do, doing Pilates with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> he is the real Kenny Powers. Um, yeah, and the golf, the golf never bothered me, but if they really think that stopping the golf will, will help him, then God bless him. Yeah. I, I thought that was an overblown controversy. But I, I, I did, too. If he, thinks, if he thinks the golf will help him, then, then fine. Then I, I, pl- I applaud him. He was still hitting home runs here in New York. That, he was playing golf during the second half of 2015, so golf isn't the issue, right? Um, yeah, that wasn't the that wasn't the issue. Yeah, so, drink more water, though, dude. Just drink more water. Just drink water in general. Just, hi- um, just hydrate. <laughs> um. So that being said, you wanted to talk about the burger. Or- yes, I had something. At a place that was in my old neighborhood, and I, I I I had to go there just because the name was so weird, and I thought it was just okay. We're going to capitalize on a viral phenomenon, okay, and and make a burger store out of it. And I thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, but it had good reviews. So I went to a place in Jackson Heights, and it's called Emoji Burger. Excuse me. Yes, it burgers. That are named after emojis. Okay. Okay, and I, I got I had the I had the, the, the menu on uh on paper at some point. We may have to pull it up online. Did you get the poo um, emoji burger? So I got the, I got the I'll tell you which one I got. Wait, I'm gonna pull up the I'm I'm gonna pull up the menu right now. <laughs> Don't wait. Oh my God. Is this a okay. real thing? So, say again? This is a real thing. This is a real thing. I don't think I was kidding. No, I, 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 what? Emoji, the emoji movie flopped. Why would I think any different? Of the, of the, yeah, you would think the burger place would be. Yes, I, but it's, it's, it's true. I put in, wait, is this the right name? Is this the one? Yeah, 8007 37th Avenue. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I had. Um, I had um, stop it. I think it. Yeah, it was. I think it was the emo, the Ori emo burger. The Ori emo. Which I, which emoji is that representative? Wait, wait, let me find a better. Let me find a better menu here. Here we go. The burgers. Yes. Yeah, I had the. Yeah, I had the Ori emo burger, which is the basically American cheese lettuce emoji aioli. I believe that that was. Um, that that was it. Um, wait, let me look at this menu because I thought I had something different. Um, uh, what is Ori? Say again? What is the Ori emoji? 
the Ori, I, 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 well, I think emo is the emoji there. The Ori, I don't know what that is. Oh, wow. Okay, emoji aioli? I'm so confused. Emoji aioli. I guess that's like their secret blend. I'm a confused millennial. I don't know what this is. <laughs> but it's really good. It's very good. It's, it, it might, it's, it's almost like Shake Shack-ish. And, and, and kind of is it is it a big place is it does it look like a pop-up stop no, it's or? a very small place but you could sit down and eat okay okay and okay and, wait, well, wait was it hmm now i'm thinking no maybe maybe it wasn't the um emo maybe it was the wink burger that i had <laughs> i'm I, i'm enjoying the, I, oh no 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 i know what i had it was the yummy burger the it yummy was the yummy burger that i had it was beef, cheddar cheese, guacamole, black beans, lettuce, tomatoes, and chipotle aioli. That's what I had. I, li- <laughs> I like how they're all cooked. Because it was messy. And was it really good? Oh, it was, re- it was very, very good. Ooh. It worth go. And did you get fries with it, or was it? Well, yes. And that was the one problem I had was the fries. Uh-oh. Bad review. And not that- no, 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 no. Not bad review. The fries were very good. The fries were cooked um perfectly and they're the skinny shoestring fries and i like i like them um, and and i had the emo fries that had bacon bits shredded parmesan scallions and emoji aioli now see that's the, i don't think i got the emoji aioli with it Ooh. i think that's the problem because when i was eating the fries all of the bacon bits and shredded parmesan and scallions were dry so they didn't stick to the fry okay Okay. They just settled to the bottom of the plate, and I had to eat that like separately. That's disappointing, man. Because that's so that part of the, the experience. With it. I think I, it, I think it should have had emoji aioli in it to kind of hold everything on the fry so that I could eat it. I said that, that was the one, but that's an easy fix. Yeah, definitely. That's De- an easy fix. So the, and and it's, it is on the menu. See, I think they just forgot to put the emoji aioli in the fries. They should have. Yeah. But, but it over- holds everything. It it, it 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 means that when you pick up a fry, it has the parmesan and the bacon bits on it because the emoji aioli is making it stick to it. That's the only thing I would say. But otherwise, yes, very very good. That's awesome. Very good. That is that's rad. Uh, so you would yeah. recommend this? But, I, but but now let's let's segue into the other thing that I wanted to discuss with you is that Carl's Jr. has a a burger joint now they have opened a place in new york by madison square garden okay and uh you got to go there no i didn't but i'm looking at the menu and i'm thinking i have to go there because i think they blatantly ripped off mcdonald's really why they have well first off they've got these sliders that look really good and every time my wife tells me that every time that a commercial for the carl's jr slides sliders comes off and, and say oh they look good and my wife is like, yeah, yeah, I know. You say that every time the commercial comes on. <laughs> so there's really, uh, like ripples. And the what? Uh, big Carl, which is basically a Big Mac. Wait, the Big Carl you said? Yes, the Big Carl, when you look at the ingredients, it's basically a Big Mac. So okay. I think they've, they've ripped them off a little bit. But I'm interested to try it. And a special sauce, everything like that? Yes, pretty much, yeah. Okay. And I've been to a Hardee's, which is basically the same thing as Carl's Jr. Okay. And I've been to a Hardee's when we were driving in uh, Missouri. We went to a Hardee's, and I, was, I wasn't I was blown away. It, it just... But 
It was okay. So would you would but you say it's Carl Jr. Now I want to. I'm I'm intrigued about. Would you have you had Sonic? I haven't. I think there should be a Sonic here because we see all the damn commercials for Sonic. Well, there's a there's two Sonics out on Long Island. Oh, Long Island, yeah. We got them. We got them. We we didn't have them. I was so infatuated by them. There's one about ten minutes from my house, and then one about a half hour drive from my house. Going there, I feel like it's it's in the um, I feel like it's in the Hardee's mold in that, like, okay. it looks really good and you can enjoy the food, but don't expect anything blow away. You expect it to be blow right. away and it's going to disappoint you. But if you expect right. standard fare, it's real good. If that makes sense. It's not going to no, does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like don't, I, their advertising almost makes their product disappointing but without advertising it wouldn't be bad um okay right because their advertising makes you feel like it's going to be like in and out or something yes exactly and it's cool because i think i don't think they can do it in manhattan because they have like the gimmick with the roller blades and everything and the, and it, it is a drive-in um oh, you can't have that in the city no 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 so i, I don't although, although with, all, with all the bike lanes that they've created in manhattan you you could get away with it yeah, yeah, you could. <laughs> um, that being said, um, so we'll check out Hardy's. Hopefully, feature that on the next or an upcoming edition of this or the video blog. Um, yes. And then uh, our burger, our show burger, is uh, from Emoji Burger, and it is the Emoji Burger. Yeah. The yummy burger. The yummy burger from Emoji Burger um, over in Jackson Heights. So, um, John, where can everyone find you? Um, well, you can find me on MestradamusBlog.com, as always, and my Twitter and Instagram, at uh, Mestradamus, my handles. And uh, you can also find me on WLIE 540 every Sunday, each and every week, at 7.02 p.m. for the Major League Baseball Report. Where <laughs> last week, we, where yesterday we actually talked curling, but that's because one of the hosts wasn't there, and uh, he would have shut that down significantly. <laughs> but... Uh, he would have shut that down immediately, but we actually did talk a little curling yesterday. Very little. Hashtag Occupy Sports Report. Um, That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me over on my Twitter machine. Um, that's at Josh Chapdelaine. You can find us over on uh, the baseball uh, – wow, the Burger Bowl uh, podcast um, Facebook page, uh, BurgerBowl.media. You can find us on the YouTube, on the 2 uh on the YouTube machine – I don't know how many times I'm going to say this before I get it damn right. Um, but, yeah, we'll get on the, the Kuyub machine and we'll rock with this. And then um, if you want to check out all of our previous stuff, we have a great uh, story with Eric Nelson that we did about a month ago. Uh, we have a great interview with uh, uh, Kevin Holding of uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, comment, Spanish commentary team. And, uh, John, this is always absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me as always. And thank you guys uh, for listening out there. Yes. And no matter what, remember, even though Cespedes says it, you are really la potencia of this show. <laughs> I need my own T-shirt. You do. La, poten la, potencia, de, la potencia de podcasting. <laughs> la potencia de podcasting y hamburguesas. <laughs>